I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves. I'm your host, Tanya Sam, and welcome again to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. Today's guest has been an artist since he was six years old, then broke off into entrepreneurship and became one of the best barbers in the Philadelphia area. And now he's continuing to follow his childhood passion and dream and living the life as an artist. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? It's so good to have you here. Chuck Styles. Hi, thank you. Thank you so, so much for having me. It's a pleasure. A uh, big fan of Greenwood and the platform that, you know, you are uh you, you guys are doing and creating to just you know spark conversation about um financial literacy within the black community so thank you for having me 
Oh, well, we're so happy to have you here. And we really like to delve into the trajectory of success and the lifestyles of people from all different industries, from creatives to artists, to musicians, to entrepreneurs and startup and technology. So really excited because your art speaks for itself. We are all staring at it right now and you've got some amazing works behind you. But I want to rewind to the beginning. Tell us about Little Chuck Styles growing up in Philadelphia um, and sort of I want to dive into, you know, how you were raised in terms of looking at money, making money moves, saving money, investing. Like people come with a lot of different stories about how they were introduced to this at a young age. Yeah, uh, man. Well, Little Chuck Styles. Um, I, I actually grew up um, in a small suburb, like right outside of West Philly, um, in Lansdowne. Yeah. Um, big, big family. Um, six other brothers and sisters. So we were like, we were like the Black Brady bunch in in the uh, in the in the community. Um, low income, but you know, a lot of love, a lot of a lot of fun. Um, and I, you know, when you're a kid, you don't realize that you're poor. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? And they order and then you start realizing, like, oh, I did have a lot of syrup sandwiches, you know, growing <laughs> up. Um, so I guess um, just growing up, you know, my mom worked hard. My, my stepfather worked hard and we, you know, we, we made it work. Um, but I did I did pay attention to how we lived as a family, especially when I got to a teenager, when I started to see like, you know, our roof was falling apart and there was water that was coming in. And, you know, every, every night when it rained, I would have to stay up, you know, uh, get like hours of sleep because yeah. I had to empty the, the trash cans filling up with water. So it, little things like that started, started, you know, um, sparking the interest to, you know, um, want to make money and want to yeah. be financially. I get older. Um, and my uncle who owned barbershops in uh, in German in the Germantown section of Philadelphia? That's what piqued my interest of being a barber. So I tried the I tried the college route and I tried the the corporate nine to five route, um, but I ended up you know pursuing my barbering passion right out of high school and being a young man trying to you know get out of your mom's basement. Um, I was you know, buying my own car and, you know, funding my own lifestyle at like 19, 20 years old. And so yeah. I kind of jumped right out into the world of like making money. And because barbering is, you know, fast money, um, I, I, I learned a lot of good things as a barber, but a lot of bad habits as a barber. I, I didn't I didn't know about taxes. I didn't know about retirement plans. I didn't know. Thank about, you for speaking the um, truth, you know, because these are a lot of things that people stumble in. Like you said, they're making some fast money. They think they're doing good. But the yeah. infrastructure behind it, nobody taught them to do. And barbering, like mm -hmm. there's so many people in our community who have barbershops, but there's a business side of it that, you know, yeah. you don't talk about in the barbershop. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So so barbering, barbering. Um, is is the area of my life that I, I contribute so much to, like the artist that I am now, especially when it comes to business. Because through barbering and being a successful barber, I learned how to market myself. Um, you know, in, in in large convention areas and and um, selling products and selling yourself, things like that. Um, but it took me to jump out and take the leap of faith as a full time artist, where I had to relearn or or unlearn a lot of bad habits like mm -hmm. i said building the credit um looking at retirement uh, uh plans and and things like that um so 
I learned how to be more financially responsible with the money that I was making once I started taking my art uh, career a lot more serious. But those two careers go hand in hand because barbering taught me how to make the money and running an art business taught me how to manage the money. Wow, I like it. So how many how many years were you working as full-time barbering and how many shops did you own um, in the Philly area? Uh, well, I want to say that I, I started I started cutting when I was about like in eighth grade, you know, but professionally, professionally, I would say from the age of 19 to the age of 30. So over 10 years of my life was dedicated to just, you know, being a barber. Um, I, I didn't own any shops. I was fortunate enough to really work with some um, some really talented um business savvy, you know, barbershop owners that I, 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 you know, owe a lot to mm -hmm. just as far as my development as a young man and, you know, the business side. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was about 10, 10, 11 years of my life to, to the, the barbering, uh, uh, the barbering arts is what I call it. The barbering arts. And so when did you begin to transition into actually creating art? Behind us, there's like some incredible art. And I'm wondering when you took the leap to follow that full time. Uh, well, art is one of those things that I've done since I was a kid, but I never wanted to be an artist because I never saw any role models um, depicted on television or, you know, in media that looked like me that was a successful artist. So, you know, growing up as a young black kid and, in, in, you know, in, in the community, I wanted to play basketball or do all these other things except follow the, the gift that God gave me. Um, and it's because I didn't see any leadership mm -hmm. with, with mm -hmm. that. Um, when I turned, when I turned 30, um, that's when I took the, the leap of faith and said, I'm, I'm, I've accomplished a lot as a barber and I'm still young enough to try something else and be great at that too. Yes. Um, so I took that leap of faith at, at 30 with the support of my wife, my family that kind of just let me have that time to figure it out. Um, but, but like I said, so much, I learned so much in the barber industry that it was, and I remember this moment, I used to do a lot of hair to barber competitions where I would cut hair for, you know, trophies and prizes and things like that. And while I was at these convention centers of 10,000 people, I would look at the booths and the booths all were the same. It was like a cookie cutter kind of like repetition. No where, style. You know, yeah, they were sell they were selling product, they were selling all these things, and nobody was selling artwork. I seen thousands of people there and I seen nobody selling artwork. And that's when the light bulb went off and said, This is a void that I can fill. I'm going to start attending these um these conventions and these these seminars and, and these events. And I'm a you know, present my art to the barber community and tackle that industry. And I started to grow the confidence and the know-how to just operate, you know, my art in certain areas. And, and that helped me, that helped me with my transition. I mean, I love that vision of just being able to see, hey, there's something missing out of this market. I have something that these this community might like, let me try it. And, you know, I think that's yeah. like some of the beauties of like entrepreneurship. You're just trying things to see what works, yeah. what sticks. And, you know, you've definitely found the lane and you went with it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You paid off, you paid off. So how did you know when you were ready to transition full-time, leave the barbering world behind and go strictly into earning a living um, off of selling your art? 
the funny thing is, I you know, it was I want to say it was it was God. <laughs> like honestly, yeah. It, I don't think sometimes that's that the only answer. <laughs> it is the only answer. It was just a very um, it was a very interesting time for me and my family at at that moment. And like I said, I was I've accomplished a lot at at the age of thirty as a barber, but it was barbering wasn't something that I saw myself doing when I got older. You know, 60, 70, you know, it was just like, how am I still going to be able to, you know, physically stand up and cut, you know, 12 hour days? Yeah. That's not at all for my life. And, you know, when you, when you, you know, when coming out of that 28, 29 year and then you hit your 30s, it's like you have this, you know, epiphany eureka moment where it's just like, <laughs> man, okay. What's my life going to look like from here on? Because now I feel like an adult adult, like a real adult. And um, I think it was just a, a, a jambalaya of just so many different events and feelings and thoughts that just kind of gave me the confidence to say, okay, let's, let's, do let's it. try this. Yeah. Um, I, I want to come back and touch on your art, but I just want to ask one last question. You know, one thing you when you talk about barbering, you talk about it as a profession. Um, I want to, because I think there's so many people in the Money Moves audience that are barbers, they're beauticians, they're, you know, making, earning a living, but it really is a profession. You also talk about yeah. going to conferences and, um, you know, competing in conferences for awards and stuff. Talk about how people need to have this mindset of looking at barbering as a profession um, and just little things that they can do to sort of increase their game in, in barbering and beauty. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the barbering world, it, it's, it's funny enough because the hair industry, you know, not just barbering, because barbering is a very small sector. Yeah. The hair industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, you know? It's huge. And we, huge. the people of color make up a huge part of that. We spend our dollars hard in that area and that industry. So I, you know, I really love how you approach it. You're like, this is a profession. This isn't just what I do to make money. I'm not just casually cutting hair. Like your approach to it was like very distinctly a profession. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, for a lot of young barbers or, you know, hairstylists out there that are um, kind of shock bound, you know, the world of, of, of the hair industry and the opportunities to, you know, expand, um, you know, your financial kind of like, you know, resume, it, it's, it's out there. And mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that, you know, us, uh, um, us that, you know, consume so much of the hair products in, right. in, within the hair industry, there's not enough on the other side that's creating uh, the products. And so when I started to go to the, the conventions, you know, in, in Atlanta, Bonner, Bonner Brothers, you know what it's I mean? Huge. Or, or yeah, huge or premier down in Orlando or, um, you know, it's another one really big in New York at the Jacob Javits Center. It's literally tens of thousands of vendors there selling all types of hair products and tools and, and capes and you name it. And it's not a lot of black and brown vendors that are there so what i would encourage is get into the product space yeah because number one number one what i learned early on is that no matter how good you are there are only still a certain amount of hours in the day that you can actually perform that service mm -hmm. yeah there are only a certain amount of people within that that day that you can service 
So why not get into the product business where that you can have a, a, a tried, true and tested product that can sell throughout all times of day, all times of the day, all times of the night. And it'll just continuously, uh, you know, gain traction and, 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 and provide the financial freedom that, that, you know, allows you to spend more time with your family. I uh, love or, that. Or other things, because that was one of the big things with me is that I was I was shop bound and I wasn't able, I was missing critical moments with my my wife or my kids Saturdays. I It took me over 12 years to experience what a Saturday regular civilian. Afternoon. Oh, of course. You can't take a Saturday off as a barber. That's like prime time. That's right. prime time. Right. Yeah. Wow. No, so, I, I really I would, appreciate that perspective and sharing it because I think, you know, people really have to let no matter what business you're in, you have to, you know, build the business with the foresight of building something that is a brand, recognizing you're limited yeah. by how many hours you can cut hair and creating multiple and alternate streams of income, whether it's products, you know, whether it's, you know, having other chairs behind you. But um, that's a really great perspective. Okay, I also have a question, like these haircutting competitions. So when you go to a conference and you're like winning a haircutting competition, did that help you succeed in business? Or like, what does that do for the brand and the business? Absolutely. And the funny thing is, the funny thing is my real last name is not Styles. A lot of people think it's Styles. Um, Chuck Styles is actually my barber name that I just transferred over into the art community. And a lot of people started calling me Chuck Styles because I did so many different styles <laughs> haircuts literally i could probably put your face in the back of somebody's head yeah wow. so that's the type of yeah yeah that's how i used to win a lot of competitions all wow over the within an hour i think it was like an hour hour and a half time i would perform like a nice cut you know um you know from what people can see frontal view but in the back i would do complete portraits of michael jordan or caesar from planet of the apes or um, Floyd Mayweather, I did that. LeBron James, I did that. Um, and it, it ended up it ended up granting me a spot on um, a competition show hosted by Cedric the Entertainer that was on CW, uh, you know. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm going to have but, to talk to my yeah, man it, because he has not had my face on the back of his head. So, <laughs> like, what are we really doing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, all those all those little wins, all those little wins, it goes into the, the success story of, at the end of the day, the brand, which is you. You know, you can you can create all these other brands that kind of live as a as a as its own entity. But at the end of the day, you are your own brand. And you are your own brand. They want to see you win and, and they're here to champion you. So all those little wins in my past life as a barber have carried over and they're seeing me do incredible things. And they, you know, it all helps. It, it definitely, definitely helps with uh, the support. So this makes a lot of sense now. Chuck Styles 1.0 was creating art on the back of heads. Now Chuck Styles 2.0 is creating art. Cause I was like, wow, this is really an amazing transition, but it's just your medium has changed. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's it. So let's talk yeah. about the art behind you. So now you've been painting all along, you know, making it in this world as an artist is really, really difficult. But I think a lot of that speaks to brand and marketing. And so you already had like one leg in, in that you had an audience that was coming to you for your talents and styles. You'd already branched out into, you know, selling art through unexpected places, I would say, at, at conferences and barbershops. How is it now, you know, being a full-time artist and 
Can you tell our audience how you go about structuring this as a business as well? Because it's not, you know, I think oftentimes when people think about artists, they just think of some guy that's just painting on a whimsy and, you know, <laughs> there's no business to it. But if you want to eat, you got to have a business. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, it, it was it was funny. What, like I said, one thing one thing that the barbering community um, allowed me to uh, just kind of have a clear eye view on is is knowing who your audience is. Mm. You know, so when I was still a barber and I was doing art specifically barber themed, it was it was like literally kids in a candy shop because I spoke their language the art resonated with them and barbershops and hair salons were just eating it up. So when I, when I transitioned from being a barber to a full-time artist, you know, I have, I, I, I have a few other themes that aren't necessarily what you see behind me because it took me a while to find my art voice. But then once I figured out, you know, who I was and who I wanted to represent and what my art wanted to represent, I said, you know what, I want to do primarily black art that just like, amplifies you know the black voice and, and gives people confidence and pride in who they are and who we are and knowing your audience is like key 80 like percent battle it's it's literally it's 80 if you can if you can provide value to a community of people and you're like there with them that that solves a lot of the you know struggling artist myths and i think a lot of a lot of young artists they just want to do what's cool with Trendy. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's an audience for that, but that audience is very fickle because they're on to the next thing that's hot. You know what I mean? Um, but that that helped out a lot is just knowing who my audience is. Another thing that I that I tend to do is um, I look, you know, the saying, um, uh, if you want to be wealthy, you need seven streams of, of income. Yep. I look at each of my art pieces as um, a way to create seven streams. So if I create one artwork, that one artwork, the original is one stream. Prince is a second stream. Ooh. Merchandise is a third stream. Yes. Um, any type of other, you know, um, whether I want to do licensing, licensing is, a, is another stream. So it's, artists must understand that, you know, when you create an asset, that asset can be broken down into multiple different streams because some people might love your artwork in different mediums. And if you're able to supply them that medium, then that can create a whole different, you know, you know a whole different tab on your website for people yeah. to come spend money. So, um, yeah. Okay, so explain to me too. So you do original works, you do prints, you do merch, you do all sort of um, bands of your art. Have you decided is one more lucrative than the other? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I used to do, I used to uh, put events and art shows down in Miami for Art Basel weekend. Art Basel is really big, really competitive. It is. Um, I was, I've been there several times this year. I came yeah. and left, not with art, but Omicron. So that part was. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> My first few times there, I think I think I went under the guise of, okay, this is the Super Bowl of art. Yeah. Everybody's feels there like it. to sell artwork. Right. I think the illusion that I tell a lot of the young artists now, the illusion of art Basel is that you're going to go down there with your artwork and you're going to make $100,000 selling your artwork, right? And that's the dream. The reality is. <laughs> I love that you, you said, that's the dream. The reality is. Yeah, 
the reality is when I was down there on, on year three and I was, you know, I, I host my own events. And so I bring other artists along with me and, you know, we share space. What I realized by year three was that the art that I was trying to sell at the time, I couldn't even afford it. Right. So I'm like, man, I'm, I'm trying to sell artwork for like $30,000. I can't even afford <laughs> my own artwork. And then I realized the majority of people that are down there to enjoy Art Basel are like me. Yes. They can't afford $30,000 art pieces. So that's the that's the reality that the majority of the people out of 80,000 people that come down to Miami to experience Art Basel, I want to say 90% of those people are just regular people that yeah. are there to support and, and, and look at art. So what I said is, okay, I want to service the 90%. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to restructure my art business and not necessarily drive the focus on original artwork, but I'll provide high quality canvas prints for a fraction of the cards. Yep. So, so and I, I think this also speaks to the strategy of getting your name out there, you yes. know, and people like people want to know they're like, ooh, styles, Chuck Styles is art, Chuck Styles is art, because they see it and then someone else can go buy it. And, you know, right. I think in our community, that's really huge because a lot oh, of the people yeah. that go to Art Basel, they're learning, you know, yeah. they're learning yeah. about art. They're trying to figure out how to get into art. What is great art? And so here yeah. you're, you're flooding the market. You're not flooding the market, but you're providing something in a larger market pool. Yes. No, no. To your point. Absolutely. That's exactly how I thought. And I know it was, a, um, it was, it was. It was difficult to explain to other artists or other people that kind of um, had this stigma of, oh, well, if you do prints, isn't that going to devalue your work? And I'm like, well, my work really doesn't have any value if people don't know who I am. I have to increase the demand first. And in order to increase the demand, <laughs> I got to get it out there. Yeah. You know, so that was the first run of, you know, just going down to Art Basel and providing just canvas prints to people. And people said, I can get that for like $300. I said, yes, absolutely. And we will ship it to you so you don't even have to worry about taking it back on the plane. <laughs> I love that. And yes, absolutely. And we will ship it to you. Welcome to your first piece of art. And it's art. And I think this is the thing, like there's this misnomer about the art world that it has to be, you know, super expensive. And But sometimes like art is just meant to be enjoyed. And yes, you oh, want yeah. to create, add value and it be an asset, you know, as it grows and evolves. But sometimes it's just be getting in on the bottom floor, having an eye, learning these things. And yes, for $300, you can have this piece of art and I'm going to ship it to you. People are going to see it and they're going to be like, I would like one of those. Absolutely. I mean, and you know what also, you know, it also kind of like helped me um, go because I was very much like an elitist for a second where I was just like, oh, I'm not doing prints. You know? I'm back yet. Not, you know, but um, it's to, to, to make six figures as a, as a, as an artist all on your own terms is still a success. Yes. And when I saw, when I saw this young, this young girl on Etsy, I think she was making like a hundred thousand dollars a year. She was selling Beyonce quotes on Etsy, like in her own handwriting. It Slay girl and all, like yes. Beyonce quotes straight from Beyonce songs, and she was clearing six figures. And I said, "That's the, that's a success story that so many people need to see." Yes, because it helped me transition into just being able to provide. Um, art in a different format and being comfortable with that. And so, yeah, to your point, I mean, 
you got to educate people and um and I like that. I, I mean, I really love that you even shared this young woman on Etsy just being like she was reselling handwritten Beyonce. There's a market for everything and you have to find your market. Listen, not all of us are Barack and Michelle Obama who can have some artists paint them portraits of themselves that's going to go tour. <laughs> like that's not, and you know what? Some Everybody's art is different. Art is truly in the eye of the beholder or the purchaser. Absolutely. So being able to find Absolutely. your market, your marketplace is like, I think the key niche. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations 
questions that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. I do, since your art is behind us, I want to ask a couple questions because there's such a diverse array of different things yes. that you've created and painted. Everything from a P&B peanut butter and jelly sandwich to, I think that's Ali back, is it? Am I wrong? Yes, that's Ali, yep. Okay, so what really inspires you to create all these, all this very different art? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of music. My mother, my mother was a musician, and I, I, I look at music as a driving force to kind of like provide the energy for my artwork. Um, I, I, I learned so much from so many different industries, and I look at my art as the same way like a musical artist creates albums. Yep. So, in order for me to stay within a certain like theme or color story. Um, I like to make collections and within that collection, you can kind of tell like, okay, this was, this was during this year, during this period. And that was during that period, kind of like an album, you know, when you, when you go back and look at like, you know, Michael Jackson's like bad album, it's just like, oh yeah, no, I know all the songs that's on that album or, you know, yeah, yeah. like, okay, you know, I know exactly what songs are on that album. And that's how I look at my artwork. So when you see like the, the, the peanut butter and jelly with the wine or, or the champagne glass and then the, this Wonder Bread piece right here, that was that was in the, in the time period where I was doing a lot of Miami artwork and I was trying to cater to, you know, to get money Miami yes. art box. Um, but then if you look at the pieces that are on my walls, a lot of, a lot of black faces, a lot of black storytelling um, I have Hank Aaron behind me over here. Oh, that's beautiful. I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. This piece I'm working on right now um, is inspired by my wife and my daughters that I'm working on right now. Oh, so, so that piece in the background is incomplete. It's not finished yet. Yes, yes, yes. Ooh. That's incomplete. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'm already drawn to it already. So can't wait to see what that looks like. Thank you. Thank you. So as of right now, I'm just still, um, I'm just still in this moment of uh, bright colors that invoke emotion. Um, I want, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I believe in my, you know, my talents and my skill, but I also understand that, you know, when you, when you create art, you, you want there to be an emotional collection. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important. So I just want to make sure that, you know, no matter what I paint, you know, there's that emotional connection with the viewer, whether it's the content or the colors or the composition or, you know, those things. Okay, what are your thoughts? Because I know the world is changing. We're talking a lot about digital art, NFT art, um, and how it can help artists actually like um, authenticate the provenance of a piece of art and you know collect royalties for years to come. Do you think this is something that's here to stay or just a quick fad um, as it pertains to art in particular? Hmm. Tough question, I, I don't know. know. That's a good question. That's a good question because I haven't I haven't released any NFTs as of yet. Um, I'm not in a rush because it's still very very new. It's really I know early. Everybody making it like oh this you gotta get it now you gotta get it now and it's just like it took a long time for people to even catch up to the internet. You know what I mean? Like yeah. 
You know what I mean? I remember, you know, back when it was dial up and you actually- Me too. I shamefully like to admit that. Yeah. You know, and even before then, it was like the internet was out years before then. So right now, NFTs, they're they're out. I do think that they provide um, another lane for, you know, financial, you know, financial freedom the the thing the thing that just kind of scares me a little bit is that because it's on the blockchain and um i mean obviously the people that run these platforms are a lot smarter than you and i (laughs) i'm just worried about um security measures security is a big issue in that industry for sure it's a big yeah so i'm seeing like you know x the x amount of dollars just was stolen and board apes you know yeah it's happening a lot yeah, so I do think that there are um, there are positives to the NFTs. I just still think that we are so far from seeing what NFTs really can do in yeah. a stable environment where you know people can actually have a plan and then that plan actually succeed. Because right now everybody's just throwing shit at it's the It's the wild, wild west. I, I admit, I follow the industry, I'm into it, but it is certainly so early that it is the wild, wild west. Right, right. Absolutely. Right. Okay, so last but not least, I want to dive into the piece of the conversation where you're involved with Tops for Project 70. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, man, Tops, Tops, uh, just got finished wrapping up my Tops Project 70 uh, project where Tops was celebrating 70 years of providing cards in, in the sports, you know, uh, in the sports industry. And it's it's been incredible. They chose 50 creatives to generate 20 cards, 20 unique cards for their set. And some of the creatives that were involved in the project was Snoop Dogg. Um, yeah, Snoop. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised he took on this job because he has like a thousand jobs right now. He does um, have a thousand jobs. Thousand jobs. Uh, Snoop Dogg, Action Bronson was a part of this set. Um, there's there's a lot of lot of you know well known artists and creatives. Jeff Staple. Um, wow. You know DJ Ski. DJ Ski. It's it's like some of the people that were involved in this project. I was just humbled to say like, wow, I'm here. And um, the project just commenced, and I actually finished in the top five. Um, sellers uh, selling over a million a million dollars worth of baseball cards with fifty four thousand cards sold. Wow! Beating out Snoop. Shout out Snoop, love you, up, but I had yeah. to get you out of here. Um, and 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 yeah, it's just it's incredible to see that my artwork is in a smaller format that will be hopefully around past you know my years on Earth and you know my grandkids and and you know they'll be able to pick up these cards somewhere around the world and say, yo, you know what I mean? My That's grandfather, incredible. my grandfather did that card or, or, you know, if it's, if it ends up being worth, you know, thousands or a hundred thousand dollars, the baseball card community is a whole nother, whole nother underground industry that is just like, it's not a lot of us in it, but it's a lot of money in there. But there's a lot it's of, a- I mean, you are on the cusp of being yeah. an NFT artist. I can tell you got the collectible piece. <laughs> You're just like, you just need to tip the scale. I'm sure We're, next time we have you back here, you'll be like, I just launched my whole collection. Like, <laughs> we get in there, we get in there. For sure, for sure. 
Amazing. Well, congratulations. That's a lot of really great stuff that you have happening. We don't have a lot of time left, but tell us um, what's next for you. Do you have any great collaborations or collections coming up? And of course, where we can find you on social media to buy some of these great pieces. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, Well, I just got finished. I just got finished coming back from Cleveland for NBA All-Star Weekend, um, where I launched my collection uh, in apparel with a company called Damari, black owned, owned by um, former uh, Philadelphia Eagles, Malcolm Jenkins. So that's, wow. his, that's his line. And um, we successfully did our opening launch at Saks Fifth Avenue in Cleveland over the weekend. That's huge, really, congrats. Yeah, really good, really good turnout, really good reception. Um, so that just happened. And then I'll be out in Vegas to celebrate uh, Wendell Scott, which was the first African-American race car driver. I did some artwork that honors Wendell Scott that'll be on every single NASCAR card in the, in the cup. Race. And we'll be on a big giant jumbotron. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. You know, wow. I would have never thought that I would have been doing artwork for NASCAR, but I'm just glad that I'm, you know, here to help tell our stories in unconventional ways and just- I mean, that's pretty, like when you think about those unique avenues, black people doing art for NASCAR racers, like that's pretty impressive. And I think that matters so much. Like when we talk about, and I've heard you talk about representation, you know, being an artist and looking up as a kid and just being like, oh, I can do that because he did that, he did that. Like that's pretty impressive. So congrats and kudos. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And uh, you know, last but not least, you know, you can find, you can find my artwork at www.artofchuckstyles.com or on all social media at Chuck Styles, two S's at the end. At Chuck Styles, two S's at the end. Well, Money Movers, we are out of time for today, but you heard the man, you heard where to follow him. So make sure you check him out, support his art. Um, and thank you again, Chuck Styles, for being with us today. You have dropped so many gems. Thank We're just you. appreciative of your time. Love the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Greenwood, shout out Greenwood. I'm always here, y'all family. Let's keep, let's keep educating. Let's keep educating. Oh, thank you so much. All right, Money Movers, that's all the time we have for today. But if we have helped you make your money move, please make sure to let us know by sending us a like, sharing the knowledge on your social media, and or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure to tune in Monday to Friday and subscribe to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood so that you too can have the keys to financial freedom you so rightly deserve. Thank you so much for tuning in, Money Moves audience. If you want more or a recap of this episode, please go to thebankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's brand new, season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how three 20-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 